Take your Bibles this morning and make your way to the first epistle of Peter, chapter 4. First Peter 4 is where we're going to land. Begin in verse 12, read down through verse 19. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. Let, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in the matter. Do you get the context here? It's Christian suffering for the sake of Christ, not for your own stupid actions. That's basically, that's a, that's what Peter's saying a little not more nicely than, than I have stated it, but just to boil it down. Look at the next phrase. With that in context, you're going you're gonna to suffer because of Jesus. Right? Look at the next phrase. Verse 17. For the time, what? Has come. For judgment to begin where? We're already going to suffer for the Christ's sake. But now he says, oh, it's the suffering from the outside is not enough. No, judgment must start, must begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved... Where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Judgment must start at the house of God. And what Peter's saying is that if we're if we're it's so funny. You don't ever hear any sermon on this. If we're scarcely saved, let, let, let me put that in a modern vernacular. I heard my mom use this term so much growing up. If you're saved by the skin of your teeth, <laughs> right? Are you with me? What about the people out there who don't know Christ? I mean, if you're just barely making it, what about the others? That's why judgment must start. In the house of God. Our president-elect ran on a promise to make America great again. And that platform resonated with enough people that it ultimately won him the White House. But I ask you, does Donald Trump, Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton fill in your favorite politician? We talk. Ronald Reagan, any of them. Do any of these people have the ability to make 
America great? And that's a fair question. And, and before you answer quickly, I want you to ponder that. Here's the question we should be asking. What lies at the core of greatness? That's the question we should be asking. Whether it be a nation, a church, a community, a family, or an individual, is there a common core foundational element that is always there When it comes to greatness, Alexander de Tocqueville, who wrote the French philosopher, leader, who wrote the book Democracy in America, has put his finger, I believe, on the common core of greatness, at least nationally. But I think it carries over into all other areas. Let me share with you what de Tocqueville said. I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her commodious harbors and her ample rivers, and it was not there. In her fertile fields and boundless forests, and it was not there. In her rich mines and her vast world commerce, and it was not there in her Democratic Congress and her matchless Constitution. And it was not there. Now listen to what he says. This was upon a visit to America to discover, literally, the secret of her greatness. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness did I understand the secret and genius of her power? America is great because she is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. He's got it. And the scripture backs this up. Through precept and principle. Proverbs 14.34. Read it with me. All together. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. What about this one? Getting a little more specific. Proverbs 29.2. Let's begin to read that. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. That's what the Tocqueville said. America is great because she is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. What is good? Do you remember when 
and went to Jesus and called him good. We know you're a man sent from God, for no one can do these works which you do unless God be with him. Right? And they called him good teacher. He said, why do you call me good? There's only one good. What is good? I say another word for good is what we see in the scriptures here. It's righteousness. Okay? And here's my thought. That's literally what de Tocqueville said. There was a righteousness that was at the core of the identity of a burgeoning new nation called the United States of America. And this French philosopher came over to discover the secret. And what he found is it was not in the Constitution. It was not in the government. It wasn't in all the resources. It was not in the people. There was an underlying identity of, righteous, of national righteousness. We ask ourselves, what is that? But let me say this. This is vital. This is the, the key to this whole thing is that righteousness is the seed from which the fruit of greatness springs. Did you get that? You ought to, I didn't give you an outline today, but you ought to jot that down. Righteousness is the seed from which the fruit of greatness springs. Righteousness. Okay, then we should go further and ask another question. If righteousness is the seed that births greatness, both personally and corporately, then how do we do two things? How do we embrace this righteousness? And then how do we execute this righteousness? Are you with me? And you're going to see that once we understand this, I hope you will see clearly that it is not an administration that makes America great. It's you. And it's me. And specifically, it is the church. So how do we embrace this righteousness? And then how do we execute? How do, in other words, say, how do we receive this righteousness? And then how do we do it? How do we practice it? I'm glad you asked. Another way to say that is, how do we make America great again? And I call this making America great again. And I think there's a slide for it. YBH, how do we do that? You know, and he ran on them. We're going to make America great again. And, and we wanted to know, well, how does that, what's that look like? And how do we pull that off? How are you going to do it? Will it work? I think it will, but I don't think it's going to come from the White House. I think it's going to come from your house, from my house. We are the people. So let's do this. Let's realize two bedrock truths. We're going to start off by explaining how do we receive this righteousness and then how do we let this righteousness extend from ourselves personally to our families, to our community, state, and country, ultimately to the world. Well, you've got to realize two bedrock truths. Number one is what righteousness is. You've got to define it. And then number two, how do we get it and live it? That seems simple, right? What is righteousness? When Solomon said righteousness exalts a nation, what's righteousness? And then how do I get that righteousness and how do I live it? So I'm just going to give you a quick definition here. And this is just my definition. I took this from nowhere but my head. 
It's simply this. Righteousness is the fruit of being declared right. Literally being declared perfect, having no sin. And I can declare you right and perfect, but how much water does that hold? Not much. No, this declaration of righteousness must be by someone who has the authority to declare you righteous. And there's only one person, and that is the Creator, God the Father. So, so what righteousness actually is itself, it's the fruit, it's the result of being declared righteous by your Creator. And I'm going to explain that in a minute. God's decree is the root of... Righteous living is the fruit. You need to understand that. God declaring you right with Him is the root. Righteous living is the result or the fruit. And so oftentimes, everyone look here, so oftentimes we believe that backwards. We think I'm going to live right and therefore be right with God. That is so backwards and so wrong. That sends good people to an eternity in hell. No, your good works do not put you in right standing with God. The good work of Jesus Christ is the only thing that puts you in right standing with God. I cannot preach that loud enough or long enough because there are those of you that will sit in this pews Sunday after Sunday and hear it over and over again and get just enough of it to be vaccinated to the truth that there is a God who loved us so much that he sent his son to die in our place because we did not have the ability to work ourselves into a right relationship with him. And so many of you will never get that. You get it enough to be vaccinated from the reality that you've got a sin problem and that we are in trouble without him. The Bible declares this clearly in Romans 3 and verse 20 when Paul said, Therefore, by the deeds of the law will how much flesh, church? What's it say there? No flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the laws and knowledge of sin. You are not going to work yourself into right standing with God. As the Puritan preacher John Bunyan wrote in his little verse, Run, John, run, the law demands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids me fly, and it gives me wings. Amen? The law is completely powerless to make you righteous. It's not even its job. Its job is to show you righteousness and show you how far we have, you have fallen short. That you may seek another answer than your own works. Namely, the work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. And brothers and sisters, that's a place to say amen. And I can't help you if you can't get that. God's decree is the root. Righteous living is the fruit. And let me tell you, it all stems out of being made right with God by faith in Jesus. And then and only then can we do anything with that. You and I don't have a hope of any kind of righteous living, living it out practically in the world if we don't have a right standing with God. It all comes from who we are in Jesus Christ. And what the world doesn't need today is a new definition of Christianity. What the world needs today is a new demonstration of Christianity. Amen? 
We don't, it does not need to be redefined and renamed. It just needs to be demonstrated and lived out. That's what the world needs to see today. Matthew 5 and 13 says it this way. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot of men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand that gives light to all who are in, your house, in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Live it out. From the foundation of God's decree, you live out who you are in righteous action. And this world definitely needs some of that. Amen? Here's the truth of the matter today. The answer to making America great again, and listen to me, I could not mean this more sincerely. How? How do we make America great again? The answer lies not in Washington. The answer is on this table, represented by the elements of communion. The answer is the gospel. What made America great in the first place is the fact that we've gotten away from that that has caused her rapid decline. It is a righteous standing totally outside anything that you do that is the answer that we so desperately need if we have any hope to make this country great again. Listen to me. It is not the position of the president that makes a man great. It is his position before God that is the foundation of a righteousness that exalts the nation. You hear me? It's not the position of president. It is the position of child of God. What we don't need is a president seated behind a desk. We need a president who bows before the throne of an almighty and sovereign God. And brothers and sisters, I don't care who you voted for, you are required by the law of Holy Scripture to pray that that's exactly what we get. I have prayed that for our current president. And every president before him since I've been a believer. And we, are, we need to, and I'm just going to say it. You know I don't mince words. If that man's a saved man, then I'll eat my shirt. Our president-elect, by his own words out of his mouth, is not in right standing with God by grace through faith because he publicly stated he had nothing for which to ask forgiveness of by God. Apparently he's not read the newspaper and the reports about him. And, and I don't know if that, was, if that was just a statement because the question was offensive and it could have been. But I've got to tell you, until you realize that you've got a sin problem that you can't fix, you cannot be saved. So would you join me in praying that God brings this man, our president-elect, to a place of salvation where he kneels before the throne of God to receive forgiveness of his sin, and right standing with God. We're required to do that. But we can't make that happen 
for Donald Trump. Only the grace of God and his cooperation can do that. So I urge you to join me and pray to that end. But you and I can do something. And that's what I want to just throw at you as I run this to conclusion this morning. What can we do? What can we do? Revelation 2 and verse 5 gives us the answer. And here's the, here's the second thing. Uh, the, the first is to realize those bedrock truths of a righteousness that comes from God and then extends to the world around us. And here's the second. is just to repent. How do you make America great again? What did, what did our text say? Judgment has to start where? House of God. Not the White House, the House of God. Are you with me? Starts here. We've got to repent. Revelation 2.5, therefore, re remember that uh, from where you have fallen, God tells the church, repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Church of Ephesus, great church. Had us beat by light years. And God said, nope, you're on your way out unless and until you repent. We must repent. You say, preacher, what do we need to repent of? Personally. How many of you have been on Facebook this week? There's a lot of repenting that needs to go on. There really is. And let me just deal with a couple of issues on both sides of the aisle. Could I? I'm going to really step into some dangerous waters right now. But, I, but I'm telling you what, I don't care. We need to hear the truth. Both sides of the aisle have a lot of repenting to do. And those who rejoiced on Wednesday morning were the same ones mourning for the last eight years. It's a cyclical thing, folks. Okay? It happens. It's life. But here, let me tell you what I believe we need to repent of. First of all, I think we need to repent of idolatry. We need to repent of idolatry. And I've defined idolatry looking to anyone or anything to meet your need other than God. You say, well, you know, with this whole election thing, all this, what, where's our, where is our idolatry? It's on, two side, it's on both sides of the aisle. Both sides of the aisle look to that candidate and say, there are only hope. And I, I can't tell you how many Christians, I, conservative Christians I've heard say, well, you know what? God has given us another chance. God's given us a reprieve from judgment. Have you ever stopped to think God might have just given us judgment already based on who was elected? And, and the judgment has already fallen because we're looking to a man to do something that only God can do. And it's the textbook definition of idolatry. And God is not happy in heaven when he sees that. We do not need to look at this incoming administration as the answer. We need to look in the mirror and say, I'm the answer through the power of the Holy Spirit. Regardless of who's in office. We don't look to Washington's hill for what only Calvary's hill can do. That's on the sign out front. We don't look to Capitol Hill for what only Calvary's hill can accomplish. The answer is not in Washington. The answer is at Calvary. The answer is the gospel being fleshed out and lived by you and I. We are after the hearts of men and women and boys and girls who will ultimately change the heart of a nation. And Donald Trump 
can never do that, and nor can any president ever do that. The president does not make the country great. God makes the country great by bringing about a true righteous standing before him by grace through faith alone. And then we take that righteous standing and we live it out to our neighbors. And something happens. Righteousness exalts the nation. We will, the, we will be no greater than we are righteous. The more sinful we become, the less great we become. Does that make sense? The more righteous we become, the more great we become. It's simple math. It's a seesaw, folks. It's, you've, it's, in, the, it's in the schoolyard playground. Well, not anymore because nothing's safe. Um, it used to be in a schoolyard playground when I was a kid. We need to repent of this idolatry. And the same thing on the other side of the aisle. And it gives me another thing that we need to repent of. And it's indifference, not just idolatry, but indifference. And indifference is who cares? Nothing will ever change. I'm out. I've seen a lot of that in the last few days. And that can take on many forms. From protesting, which is a legal right to do. I have no problem with that. I have a problem with rioting. And a lot of those things were absolutely riots and not protests. Just calling it like it is, folks. And that's not right. But then there's an indifference. I'm going to take my toys and go home. My, my person didn't win. I'm out of here. No. We need to repent of that. Because, and someone said it this morning, regardless of who's in that White House, God put them there. Are you with me? I don't know, I have no idea what God is doing, but he put our president-elect in that White House. He did that. Now, he used people to do it, but he did it. His sovereign will was accomplished. I don't understand that. But I accept that there's a God who's in control. And here's an indifference. Here's what indifference says. God, I don't like what you did, therefore I'm not playing. And, you know, and, and God's got a sense of humor. I mean... He really does. It's just, we're just children throwing temper tantrums, saying we're checking out, I'm not playing, I'm not, I'm not even part of it, I'm out of here. God says, yeah, okay, we'll see how that works Monday morning. You don't have a choice but to be involved because you're my child. Here's the other eye we need to repent of, not just idolatry and indifference, and this one's one that I fear the most inside this building, and that is Isolation. Isolation. That is separating from others who hold a different opinion. And that's what I see happening in our nation is a great division. Whoa, have we gotten ugly, haven't we, with each other? Haven't we gotten ugly? We're so bold behind a computer screen. We say stuff on there that we would never say to somebody's face. Right? And so here's the temptation. Well, you know what? I'm just going to hang out with people who vote the way I vote and think the way I think. And, and, and if someone doesn't vote the way I vote and doesn't think the way I think, then I'm just, I don't have time for them. I'm just going to hang out with, here's the word, here it is, my people. Come on, I know. So, oh, I don't like this. Tough. I'm telling the truth. You stop me when I'm lying. I'm telling you the truth. We must repent of that because that indifference leads to division. 
And if, I'm, if I recall my Bible correctly, J- Jesus said in John 13 and 35, by this will all men know that you are my disciples if you separate from each other when you disagree. Is that what the word says? If you isolate from each other so that you all hang out with people who only agree with you, is that what the word says? No. By this will all men know that you belong to me if you have love. Everybody say it. Love for one another. And we must repent on both sides of the aisle over that temptation. And some of us have already done. Don't do it. Matter of fact, go out and find someone who voted opposite you and let the Lord Jesus Christ love them through you. Amen, preacher. You say, well, I don't know anybody. Folks, you can find them in this room today. Find them. Love them. Because here's why. Here's what I want to say about that. I found this picture on Facebook. I loved it. It'll come up here on the screen. It says, turn off the news and love your neighbor. And I will say the media is a big part of our problem. The media and the fact that we have ceased to think and we just receive and filter nothing. Turn off the news and go love your neighbor. Because here's the truth of the matter, and I'm more concerned about it in the church because of John 13, 35. Here it is. That which unites us is far greater than that which divides us. What unites us, the Lord Jesus Christ and our common salvation unites us. We have the same Father. We have the same righteousness decreed by God in in order that it might be demonstrated to a lost and a dying world. The answer is on the table. And we don't have an option to isolate. We must repent of that. We must turn the news off. We must go love our neighbors. Martin Luther King Jr., said it this way, a brilliant statement. Here's what he said. He said, hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that, and God is love. Right? Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that, and God is love. It's what, it's what Brother Johnny talked to us about last week. God has given us lots of opportunity to do that. Now go do it. And celebrate it. Because 1 Peter 4, 17 says, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Have you obeyed the gospel of God? You see, the battle is not for ideas. The battle is for hearts. We dare not walk out of here trying to win an argument. No, the Great Commission says we are to win the arguer. And that is done, as Martin Luther King Jr. said, that is done not through hate, that's done through love. And not just a sloppy agape kind of love, but a biblical, God-centered, spirit motivated kind of love because at the end of the day here's the truth only God can make America great again but he will not do it apart from you and I he will not 
And we must realize that righteousness is the seed that gives birth to greatness. And that this righteousness is decreed by God and demonstrated by us. We receive and then we give, not the other way around. And then we must repent of our idolatry, our indifference, and our isolation. And this matters most to us. Because the glory of Almighty God is at stake. And in closing today, I just want to say this. This is off my notes. America is at the end of her life expectancy. She is. Go read history. Go read about the nations that rose to power and stayed in power without a massive shift and then the rebuilding of something that looked nothing like what it once was. Go read about Rome. Go read about Greece. Go, go study Western civilization. We are on life support. So I don't like that, Pastor. Well, I don't like it either, but it's where God sovereignly put us in history. We've got this weird, twisted notion that because we belong to God, nothing bad's going to ever happen. Do you know how? Tell that to the Christians in Sudan today. Tell that to the Christians in northern Iraq today. Tell that to the Christians who today are being stood up and executed by ISIS because they will not recant the name of Jesus Christ. Tell them that good things never happen to God's people. Or bad things never happen to God's people. You see, we're so all about us. And we can't even take those glasses off and realize that God may be calling us to a world we never envisioned before. I don't know. But I'm saying, let go of that. And here's why. Because there is a sovereign God who's in control and he wants to use you for his glory regardless of what the climate politically, socially, or social economically looks like around you. And the glory of God is at stake. So we must, we must receive this righteousness, demonstrate it, and we must repent of idolatry, indifference, and isolation because the glory of God is at stake. And I guess what I'm trying to say is we must stop being afraid. Because as old Tom Chapman used to say to me, he would take me golfing. And I did great until I got on a green. And then every single time, I would leave that putt at least two feet short. And I'll never forget the morning. He never was one to give advice. He was a great golfer, but he never gave advice. About the fifth time we played golf, I, I put that ball about three feet short. And he walked by me, and he just said these words. I'll never forget it. He said, a scared man can't do nothing. I never forgot it. Now I hit three to four feet past the hole every time. <laughs> but I'm not scared anymore, bless God. <laughs> scared man can't do nothing. The glory of God is at stake, and your fear will put a nail in that. Stop being afraid of trying to save yourself because God's already saved you for such a time as this. Amen? Father, I pray that you would help us to somehow process what we've heard today.
we, we do need to repent. Judgment starting right here in this house. And we do need to realize what that old French political philosopher said, that America's great because she's good. And if America ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. America is only as good, America is only as righteous as we are. The problem is in the pew today, not in the halls of power. So give us the gift of true repentance today that we might serve you, that we might be usable by you, that we might love each other in such a way that the world says, hey, there is a God and Jesus Christ is his son. And all men will know that we are yours. In Jesus' name. Take a minute.